Hey, Litheads. Uh, this week, we're discussing an incredible book that has quite a few vivid descriptions of self-harm and ending one's own life. So if that's the kind of thing that you're not really interested in listening to, uh, go ahead and turn it off right now um, or maybe mute it. Go listen to a different episode. There's a lot of them out there. Mm-hmm. Go listen to Too Many Butlers. That's a good one. Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for, I'm looking to hear a little bit more about this Cormac McCarthy fella mm, straight and his book Stella Maris. <laughs> why, why did you say it like a ship's captain? Stella Maris. Is that a woman's yes. name? We'll find out. To help me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshue. This week, I read Stella Maris, the 150-page companion novel to Ian's novel from last week, The Passenger. It is a woman's name. Well, actually, I think it, I think it means like Our Lady of the, like Star of the Sea, Star of the Sea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. We'll talk about it. Um, Cormac McCarthy's first book ever. No. With a female protagonist. It's not. It's not. With with it's a female not. protagonist. Okay. With the female protagonist. No, there was an earlier one. No, he's <laughs> still <laughs> there <laughs> was Tune one. in if you want to hear two teachers bicker. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't worry. Almost none of them have done their research on their claims. <laughs> hello to you, Nick. Hello to you, Joe. And hello to you, Stella. Stella. <laughs> I never once thought of that when I was reading this book. Oh my God. That's why we're here, Joe. Oh my God. Do you know that I have a friend? I'm I'm sure I told this story when I brought it. This can't be a story. (laughs) It's not a story opportunity. This is not a time for a story. I have a friend who named his daughter Stella. You told this when we did that. You told this. You always retell stories. (laughs) There's new lit heads every day. That's not how the podcast work. Oh boy. Um, Hey, so this week I didn't have to read Stella Maris, but I did because I couldn't get enough. Of Cormac, Ooh. and so I, I don't really have anything to say about the book. Uh, I just, I'm just going to make annoying noises or approving noises while uh, Joe talks. But I do have some other. Just yell, to say. Stella. Maybe I'll whisper, Stella. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Uh, Joe, you're incorrect. It is not the name of a woman. It is the name of the mental institution where she is. Yes, it is the where mental she institution. Checks herself into. That's true. I oh, got it. Okay, name that for. So, um, uh, I feel like we need a brief recap about our book last week, or people could mm. just go listen to the episode. But what now? Let's just jump right back into that incest, huh? Where <laughs> were we yeah, last? Right. Let's just pick well, it right so up. So you we remember also Cormac's first book about incest, I believe. I believe. Again, I, no I, research I, being done on our claims today. I haven't <laughs> read the older ones, but they were set in the south, so you never know. Um, I'll just Woo! remind you of a <laughs> a couple of couple of key points from last last week. Um, my book begins with an unnamed woman, um, the body of an unnamed woman being found after she has ended her ended her own life. Um, She's found in the woods of Wisconsin. Um, And then in the course of my book, we get to see her struggles with maybe it's mental illness. Maybe it's like she's people uh, uh, she's imagining little imaginary friends or maybe they're aliens. 
are demons or interdimensional creatures. It's not quite clear. Voices? Are they voices? They're not they just are voices. They are full apparitions. They are people that she sees. They're manifestations. They have like physical form and the spookiest thing i didn't get mannerisms they have mannerisms ways of speaking i didn't get into this last week but the the spookiest thing is the main guy the the thalidomide kid he appears not just to her he also appears to my her brother bobby yeah so he, he he has an existence beyond her it's really weird and also, there's a ton of stuff about atomic bombs. Seems pretty ab- straightforward. About, <laughs> about did Ian mention that he has flippers? Yeah, he does. Okay. I'm glad that- we did that recap. That was really insightful. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> um, okay. Race so, cars, incest, and atomic bombs. What else do you need to know? The entire book was a conversation between two people who we don't know about things that we don't understand. Joseph. Yes. What is this book about? What is Nick? What? What this? So my book is 150 pages long. It's considerably shorter than uh, Passenger, the book that Ian read Ooh. for for this uh, double true to form. Episode. True to form. Strange. And somehow Joe yeah, I, somehow Joe did not finish this week's book. Yeah, <laughs> I finished this book. I, in fact, I, I well, I don't want to talk too much about it. I, I finished this book, and it's a book that I really kind of sat with for a while. Like I've revisited it a couple times since then. I ended up reading this over my Christmas break. Um, you know, cranked through it in a couple of days, but kind of kept going back to my highlights in this book. Uh, I've highlighted more in this 150 page book than I've highlighted in my many, many in my entire life. I went through several highlighters. Um, no, so uh, Stella Maris, it's a 150 page, 150 page conversation between two characters. One is a psychiatrist uh, working at Stella Maris, but the more interesting one by far is Alicia Western. We learned a little bit about Alicia last week. Um, She is Bobby Western's uh, sister. She has recently checked herself into the psychiatric facility. She's a math prodigy. She sees apparitions. And she kind of fears that her brother will never wake up from the coma that he's in after getting in a really bad race car crash. Also, she, she checked herself in because when you check yourself in, you can check yourself back out. But when you're involuntarily checked in... You have they to just keep you. Beat them to the punch. I have a question. The big question. Yep. Address the big question. How do mm-hmm. these books work together? Well, it's pretty interesting. Because they do work mm-hmm. together, correct? They do work together. My book is set. I think one thing that Ian, I don't think he said this week. He said last week. Um, my book is set 15 years before Ian's book Good comes number. out. Yeah, if, um, Ian's my, my book is set 15 years. 15 years before my book is set. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, my book is set 15 years before Ian's book is set, which means they play with each other in kind of interesting ways. Um, yeah. Ian was reminding us last week, or Ian was reminding us just now about how his book begins with uh, us finding the body of a woman in the woods of Wisconsin. Um, my book, Alicia Western, is... She plans on killing herself. She's getting she's ready very, to. Yeah. She's getting ready to kill herself. She's explicit about it. Um, she talks about several ways that she's thought about killing herself. She thought, talks about the pros and cons. She, there's like a four page description of what it would be like to drown in Lake Tahoe oh that gosh. I've been thinking about for like oh 10 days at this point. It's so it's oh my goodness. 
It's it's you, wild. It's, you guys are like salivating over this. It's uh, harrowing. It's harrowing. It's, it's just it's it's some of the it's some of the 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 most gripping. Like you can't. It's unput downable, but not in the way mm. of like I love this so much. It's like it's so I don't know vivid. Vivid, yeah. vivid. Yes, and also I can name some other words. No it's problem. Also like, you just it's give me a also chance. like it seems pretty scientific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems it seems accurate is yeah. what it seems. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the thing that sticks with me the most about the description is it's not what I thought drowning would be like. Like when I yeah. imagine drowning, I imagined it to be a certain way. And Alicia Blake is like or Alicia, I'm sorry, Alicia um Western, Western is like, hey, I thought about drowning myself in Lake Tahoe. These are some of the problems with drowning yourself in Lake Tahoe. And she goes on to explain like how you wouldn't be able to turn off your lizard brain and you'd probably be panicking the entire time. She talks about how at a certain point you would have to decide to inhale ice cold water. And she's like, do you know how when you go running outside in the cold and you breathe in and your lungs really, really hurt? Well, your lungs warm up that air almost immediately. Once you breathed in a lungful of ice cold Lake Tahoe water, they would never warm up. Like that water would not warm up and you would be in agonizing pain until you died. And by the way, you might not die as fast as you think. And by the way, Lake Tahoe, where I'm going to jump in, is 1,300 feet deep and you're going to be awake all the way to the bottom of it. And it's wild. Oh, well, that sounds like a real fun quote we have coming up for you, Let Heads, at the end of this episode. I'm excited to hear more. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. So 150 pages, how many of them are about her death? All of them? Um, well, it's something that's certainly weaved throughout. Um, most of it is not about her death. Like a basket? Like, very much like a basket. Right. Um, also, maybe like you um, would get the ball to a hoop in a game of basketball. Like a uh, weave to weave through yeah. the defuck. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So the the ball weaves in through the hoop as well. Right. Or like the player weaves in. Because the hoop the is, is itself also weaved. Yeah, it's, it's got a bit of a weave to Where it. Where does like the net? end of a basketball hoop, do you know what I mean? Does it tie at one point? Is it one uni- unified piece? Yeah, it's woven. Yeah, it's it, woven as a whole. It, and. The, the truth is they're actually their mind, um, their mind in Southern Africa. Right. And there's a limited, limited number. So every time a, a basketball team wins a championship, cuts down the nets, you're mm. basically cutting apart some workers in the mind. I'm pretty sure this is how Elon Musk got his seed yep. money. I the think his mines. family owned a yeah, uh, net, net mine in yeah. Southern Africa. Well, thing. that's how the nets started. Right. Mm, well, but yeah, perfect. Great. Yeah. Great point. Great point. So this book is like definitely about like this book's definitely a little bit about Alicia Western as she contemplates like the ways in which she might kill herself. But it's mostly about when I think of this book, it's mostly about the nature of existence and like the nature of reality. I'm not ready to read that. You thought thought the book was going to be about how she's going to kill herself. But in fact, it's more about what it means (sighs) to be. Yeah, and if and you weren't introspective enough over the last two years, let heads. <laughs> oh my god, it's uh, this book. This book. This book is dense in places, right? Like, or, uh, it, it it's deals a long with big ideas. Pages. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pages you read real slow. Yeah. Um, it's a book that mm. deals with big ideas, and it's one of the things that we love Cormac McCarthy for. Um, last week we talked about like one of the things that he does so so well is he has these big themes in his books. But they never feel 
silly. They never feel over the top, right? They never feel anything like that. It's like the Annie, Annie Ernaux. What you said about reading slowly, that that joggled something loose. With Annie Ernaux, who wrote the um, Nobel Prize winning book that we brought. Um, I want to say it was called The Hours. No, that's not it. The Years, not The Hours, The Years. Annie Ernaux, you read it super slow. It's a short book, but mm-hmm. it's so, I think, carefully done. And there's mm-hmm. so much going on explosions, chase scenes, crosses, double crosses, triple crosses, quadruple crosses, mm-hmm. crosses. Just like um, in basketball? Quintuple crosses, a behind the back, mm-hmm. passes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the alley-oop. Sky Open hooks. threes in the corner. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end of the year, somebody cuts down a net. Kobe! <laughs> African workers, mine workers weep. The Years is a book you have to read super, super slow. And I think, mm-hmm. Joe, I kind of read it fast and that was that was fine because I got through it. But I feel like it would really benefit from a slow meditative read. We talked last week and I think last time we talked about Cormac as well. We talked about his time at the Santa Fe Institute where he hangs out with these scientists and mathematicians. Oh, yeah. Um, like this think tank sort of thing. He's been getting very mathematical in his 16 years off from his last book. He's been getting so mathematical and it's... It's clear that when he wrote that, like, this is a book that's written by a guy who's been talking to mathematicians and scientists for 16 years. So is he knocking down the door, Joe? And he's like, all right, I know I've heard killing yourself by drowning is supposed to be euphoria. Can you tell me what it would actually be like? (laughs) Okay. He obviously never says that. He's famously reclusive. I think that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, maybe not that exactly, but I think... Could this be the end for... Our friend Cormac. I think I get the sense reading this book that Cormac McCarthy, he's 89, 90 years old. Like he's a man who obviously is like thinking about the end of his life. He's publishing these last two books or what we can only assume will be his last two books. Or um, maybe in 15 years, he publishes, you know, as we discussed last week, his. Yes. Uh, Thank you for four, the callback. What was the joke? 14 book high fantasy epic. Uh, children's <laughs> uh, children's epic. Children's epic. Mm-hmm. Zero incest. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Well, when we say when we say high fantasy epic, we have to thanks to thanks to George R. R. Martin, we have to clarify now. And I think at the end of his life, like anybody would, when they're kind of faced with the end of their life, I think you must think about okay, what is this all, or what comes next, or what what's the deal here, right? Like, what's the deal? That's really what we all just wanted, (laughs) right? right? Like, what is the deal? Yeah. All right. With grape nuts, this conversation that he has in this book, I think in a lot of ways feels like a Socratic dialogue that he's having between these two characters where he's trying to figure out and trying to like, what's the deal? He's got a great line here where um, one of the, where the psychiatrist asked Alicia Western, do you like, Hey, you're thinking about ending your life. Do you believe in an afterlife? Like, do you, do you believe in an afterlife? And Alicia says, I don't think I believe in this one. Right. (laughs) And that sounds like kind of a little throwaway line, but like in her state, somebody who has, um, kind of prodded at the edges of the universe with something as empirically true as mathematics. Uh, she's an incredibly gifted musician. She likes, she talks about like the structure of music and how like that also feels like it is like this empirically true thing. Right. And in her work, she's kind of come to the end of what you can know. Like what we can say is definitely true about mathematics. And instead of finding an answer at the end of her work, she's only found a universe full of questions at the end of her work. And it's left her unsettled. Like she wants answers. 
She has spent her life, her short life, admittedly, pursuing those answers in the one field that she thought concrete answers might exist. She has gotten there and she says, oh, well, there's nothing concrete there either. So what's what's going on here? Like, what is this all about? Okay, so over the last 16 years, Cormac has been exploring the laws of the universe and what we know, and he has decided not much. (laughs) (laughs) i i can i can speak to this uh a little bit ian's got the answers i've got an answer to what the universe is i got this guys 42 all right 42 uh this week uh a lit head forwarded me um lit head jeanette thank you jeanette forwarded me an article is she loyal ian loyal Well, I would say, I would say, um, a, a lit head. What do we call super, super fan? Yeah. Super lit head. Probably super just lit super head. fan. Yeah, that works. Yeah. So this is an article by a, a Western novelist, um, a novelist who writes in the Western genre, um, Ooh. about what you can get, what, like what you, what we get from Cormac McCarthy. His name is Smith Henderson. He kind of, he talks about a lot of stuff and some of it is stylistic. Some of it's familiar, but some of it's stuff that's. Uh, really uniquely insightful. So what, what he, he quotes this real, really bummer of a paragraph about the detonation <laughs> of the atomic bomb. Oh, that's um, up there. Yeah. So he, and it's a beautiful paragraph and it's just a massive downer. And he says this passage, like so many in McCarthy's work is also terrible. That is what it means is terrible. His novels are shot through with awful events like birds falling dead, pilgrims lifted up by tornadoes, wagons shattered on the hard pan evil men murdering their way through the world. He knows that anything can happen to anyone. But here's the thing, he says, about accepting life's deep existential hardship. It's good to ponder your own insignificance, your powerlessness, your actual place on this blue and green marble in the vacuum of space, if only because it makes the good things better. And so I think this is an interesting read on kind of the nihilism we could say it's nihilism that that mccarthy has going on like sure we can't crack any codes we we can't understand the meaning of the universe but what we do know is that a cup of coffee on a cold winter morning sure is tasty so good man isn't it sure is good ain't no tea in the world you know what i mean Mm -hmm. this week brought to you by coffee the only other thing I want to say here is I, I fear that in our discussion, we've made this book feel sound dense. Really right? depressing. Like, sound yeah, based impenetrable. Like we said it was super dense. I think that. Yeah, I, I feel like we made it sound impenetrable. I think that's fair, right? Like, I do think there's some density to this, but this book is not impenetrable. Alicia is a likable and funny and witty character, right? Like this book is very funny in moments. The back and forth, like the psychiatrist is relatively uh, thin as a character. Like he very much is a sounding board to prod Alicia's character, but uh, prod Alicia's thinking, but they have a great like kind of back and forth relationship. Um, She's dealt with a lot of psychiatrists in her past admissions to places like Stella Maris. And this feels like the first one that she trusts and admires and and thinks is kind of worthy of her intellect. It poses questions that I have never once considered in my life. Um, (laughs) There's a long section about the nature of the subconscious, which is fascinating, where they talk about how 
here's the thing. You've never thought you thought about it. Yeah, <laughs> They're like, here's the, they talk about how the subconscious refuses to communicate with us in words, right? And Alicia goes on to this description. That's um, interesting. This, it's, it's pretty interesting. And she says, here's the thing. Everybody's had the experience of thinking about a problem, right? And in this case, she's framing it through math. She's like, sometimes I get stuck on a really tricky math problem. And all of a sudden I'm in the shower or eating a bowl of soup and the, and I haven't thought about the problem for ages and the answer just comes to me, right? Yeah. Like it comes to me, my mind, my subconscious has figured out the answer to that problem. Here's what's weird about that. When I figure out a math problem, I rely on explicit knowledge of how math works. I rely on the codification of like what math symbols do. I have to write everything out and do multiplications and, and there's like steps. There's steps to Logical do it. She's steps. Like, my subconscious doesn't have access to any of that stuff. So when my subconscious figures out a math problem, what the hell is it doing? Like, like, how is it figuring that out? And if it knows some secret that I don't, why isn't it sharing it? Why with isn't me? it telling me? <laughs> yeah. And it's so like, she, there's these questions about that. It raises that I think are fascinating that I've never read before. I think this is a thought provoking book. Um, I thought it was a, it's a book that makes you feel smart. I think that's the, probably what I would take away. <laughs> it's a, a lot dense of Cormac book. books, though. You read them, and you're like, yeah, I know what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like it is a dense book, it, but Mac it's attack. not impenetrable. There's confusing things, and you read slow, but it never makes you feel dumb. It makes you feel smart for having considered these, these ideas that Cormac's been considering. Want to spoil today's Wordle? It is, <laughs> I think, appropriately. Maybe they knew we were doing this. Today's Wordle is... Mm -hmm. McCarthyism. <laughs> Mac attack. I'm going to like, I'm just going to keep saying Mac attack until it happens. Mac attack. It's, it's not going to, it's like fetch. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, the second thing I want to do is, is I'll run quickly, run through a list of words, a list of things that have been invented since Cormac McCarthy created his last oh, book. Love it. So he published the road. <laughs> he published the road in 2006. The road um, one. Uh, yeah. So roads, roads have been invented. Uh, he was the first to think of them and we, <laughs> Thank you, Cormac. Yeah, thanks to Cormac for that one. Mm -hmm. uh, here, I knew, this is just rapid fire. Wordle. Thanks, Mac Attack. Um, Wordle. Um, the phrase Mac Attack. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Activated charcoal Ooh. in literally everything. Um, you can now get activated charcoal in your activated charcoal. Instagram. Hard seltzer. The concept of the influencer has both risen and fallen. Oh, and we're, we're past them now. Fidget spinners. Yeah. Still, still riding that fidget spinner high. And this gave me a little fun image of Cormac, Mac Attack, um, just maybe playing with a fidget spinner himself in the year 2017. Um, the dreadful YouTuber, Mr. Mr. Beast, uh, NFTs, uh, the word manspread. I don't think the practice of manspreading uh, was, has just come up. Just the word. Just, but the word specifically. And then a bunch of terrible things like COVID and Trump and record-breaking wildfires and murders of Michael mm -hmm. Brown and Trevon yeah. Martin, George Floyd, mass shootings. Oh, I'm not sure how now. we want to end this a episode. Of, a lot of downer stuff there. The one, fact yeah. is, the fact is, it's weird to me how sort of fresh and timeless this feels. Um, this feels like it could go like alongside his stuff from the 80s or from the 90s. It's not timeless is the wrong word because it's 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 very much. It's very much modern. It's dealing with modern concerns and anxieties. But um, 
he doesn't he doesn't have a late style it's just sort of it's just <laughs> yeah. people talk about yeah. this when when authors when, when we talked about this last week i think when authors get towards the end of their careers maybe they start playing the hits or maybe they sort of coast on ideas they've had before this is cormac breaking new ground this is fairly fairly straightforward stylistically it's fairly like it's not not very cutting edge stylistically but what he's doing with it and the way these two novels are working together is a kind of a diptych it's it's really cool feels like a matt classic yeah, yeah, it's classic a, a classic. Do you think he changed his name? So he wasn't originally his his real name isn't Cormac. His real name is like Charles or something. Do you think he went with yeah. what? Yeah, yeah. His real name was Charles. This is this was on our, our fun our Cor, Corfax McCarthy uh, from our first episode. <laughs> his real name is Charlie McCarthy, Charles McCarthy, but he changed it or at least Liar. went by Cormac because he didn't want to be confused with a famous ventriloquist dummy yeah. who was already <clears throat> named Charlie McCarthy. It's incredible. It's um, it's. Mm-hmm. I bet he didn't see his career coming. I just want to share that his <laughs> about the author page. In my copy of the passenger says, no- it says mind your own business it says nothing about him. It says his books have received literary awards and his works have been made into movies, which won best pictures. That's it. There is. And there's a picture of him. Love he that. will not. He will mm-hmm. not let you in. If you're trying. That's beautiful because, you know, his publisher is just like, hey, Cormac, can you give us a little blurb for the book? One and he's thing, like, please. no. Litheads, thank you for uh, humoring us as we talk joyfully about Cormac McCarthy. Join us again in 15 years. I mean, join us again next week uh, <laughs> as we talk about whatever it is we're talking about next week. But join us again in 15 years when Cormac comes out with his epic uh, nine book children's high fantasy series. Oh, we're doing the, uh, the is it next week? Are we doing the Harry? Oh, I'm book? feeling Harry, boys. Spare. I'm feeling Harry as well. I've, I've watched all of The Crown recently. Ooh, I just perfect. finished the most That's recent season, and I'm really looking to see what comes next. Um, Litheads, full disclosure, the this episode we're recording on the 10th, the day that Harry's um, Harry book has come out. Um, this is Prince Harry, if you've been living under a rock, and he wrote a book called Spare with a yeah, liberal like help Madonna. of a ghostwriter. Um and the, oh, the, the adjective, the guys, the adjective I've heard, the adjective I've read most frequently applied to it is bridge burning. Oh, bridge wow. burning. I cannot wait. Litheads, you can head on over to our website, you don't know litpodcast.com. You can suggest a book or a theme there for us. Uh, we're going to get back to those soon once all the high profile, weird, exciting, scandalous books have been exhausted. Or the Litheads know they don't need us you know they don't need to recommend the hot new books because we're on it yeah or no, or maybe to recommend them just in case because then we can do it and but and just blame in you. case request to stick it's a new year time for you to plaster our logo all over everything nearby you maybe you can be super mm-hmm. creepy and plaster like your entire bedroom with stick you can you can <laughs> recommend us to a bookish friend you can like and share on on social media and so on and so forth congratulations joe Thank you. Congratulations, Cormac. Um, Nick, I have a slightly abridged version of the long promised quote about what it would be yes. like to drown yourself in Lake Tahoe. Fantastic, Joe. Thank you. <clears throat> so I'm going to make, I'm gonna make She's um, explaining. kind of bubbling noises kind of throughout. Oh, God, Please that might don't. distract me. I might have to take on my headphones. <laughs> um, she's explaining why she chose not to drown herself in the lake. And she says, I didn't. 
First of all, the water off the East Shore is about 1,600 feet deep and agonizingly cold. A number of things are going to happen that you hadn't taken into consideration. Of course, if you had, you wouldn't be there in the first place or the last. As you descend, your lungs will start to shrivel. At 1,000 feet, they'll be about the size of tennis balls. You'll try to clear your ears and that hurts. Your eardrums are in all likelihood going to burst and that's really going to hurt. There's a technique for bringing up air and forcing it through the occasion tubes into your ears, but you aren't going to have the air to do it with. So you drift down with your thin chain of bubbles. The mountains draw away the receding sun and the painted bottom of the boat, the world. Your heart slows to a tick. Dive deep enough and it will stop altogether. The blood is leaving your extremities to pool in your lungs, but the biggest problem is just coming. You're going to run out of air before you reach the bottom of the lake. Even with a 60-pound anchor, about all I could manage, you're not going to make very good time. 12 miles an hour, which is pretty fast, you're doing 1,000 feet a minute. Under the circumstances that you've chosen for yourself, a breath might not last a minute. Even if you've done the fast respirations before you commit it, the shock and the stress and the cold and the diminishing air supply are going to take their toll. Anyway, it's going to be a good two-minute trip to the bottom, and probably more like four or five not sitting comfortably at the bottom of a lake. Comfortably. Sure, at least you'd finally be able to put down that bloody anchor. Did you enjoy working this all out? The psychiatrist asked. Why not? Problems are always fun. Anyway, at this juncture, you'll have dropped the anchor and it's going to be towing you by your belt down through water that's freezing your brain. It's unlikely you'll be able to keep your wits about you, but it doesn't really matter. When they finally give up your rat's struggle and breath and breathe in the water, scaldingly cold, you are going to experience pain beyond merely agonizing. Maybe it will distract you from the mental anguish of what you've done to yourself. I don't know. See if you can remember the pain in your lungs from being out of breath from running on a cold winter day. You're breathing in quicker than your lungs can warm the air. It hurts. Now multiply that by God knows what. The heat content of water is compared to that of air. It's not going to go away. Because your lungs can never warm the water they've inhaled, I think we're talking about agony that's simply off the scale. No one's ever said, and it's forever. You're forever. There are still unknowns here, of course. The bottom of the lake will be pretty much gravel, so there won't be any billowing silt when the anchor touches down. Total silence. No telling what's down there. The corpses of those who have gone before, a family you didn't know you had. It's a deep enough light. The light is pretty dim for all the clarity of the water, a cold gray world. Not black yet. No life. The only color is the thin pink strain trailing away in the water from the blood leaking out of your ears. We don't know about the gag reflex, but we're fixing to find out. Once your lungs are full, will it abate? The gagging? Don't know. No one's ever said. The autonomous reflex will be enough to cough out the water, but you can't because it's too heavy, and of course there's nothing to replace it with anyway except for more water. In the meantime, oxygen deprivation and nitrogen narcosis have begun to complete, compete for your sanity. You're sitting on the glacial floor of the lake with the weight of the water in your lungs like a cannonball, and the pain of the cold in your chest is probably indistinguishable from a fire, and you are gagging in agony even though your mind is beginning to go. You are caught in the iron grip of terror utterly atavistic and over which you have no control whatsoever. And now, out of nowhere, there's a new thought. The extraordinary cold is probably capable of keeping you alive for an unknown period of time. Hours, perhaps, drowned or not. And you may as well assume that you'll be unconscious, but do you know that? What if you're not? As for the reasons for not doing to yourself what you've just irrevocably done accumulate in your head, you'll be left weeping and gibbering and praying to be in hell. Anyway, sitting there among the trees in the soft wind, I knew I wouldn't be doing it.
maybe I, if I had been a bad person in my life, but I hadn't been that bad. I stood up and I walked back to my car and I drove back to San Francisco. Had you driven to Lake Tahoe with the express purpose of killing yourself? Yes. Yes.